Our scripture reading this morning is Ruth, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. That may be found in the Pew Bible on page 222. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Would you guys join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this hour of worship. Would you please give me clarity of speech and conviction of heart to preach your word boldly? And would you give every one of us here ears to hear, and hearts to obey as we look at your word in Ruth chapter 2. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two years ago this month, Heidi and I, with three daughters, moved to Vermont. And when we got here, we felt very much like foreigners in a strange land. Three things we noticed very quickly upon being here. One, It's cool to wear socks with your Birkenstocks. You can wear flannel at any season of the year. Um, And third, that you can justify putting maple syrup on anything and everything. (laughs) Suffice it to say, we knew we weren't in Missouri anymore. And there were other ways in which we felt like outsiders, in, in, in good ways. I was always asking favors. That's a way in which I felt like an outsider. When I showed up and was starting work, I didn't have any keys to buildings. And so I was always texting people and calling people, hey, could you let me into the church? Could you let me into this building? When I finally did get keys, I didn't know how the apartment doors worked and how when you use the lock, it stays locked. And so I had to call John Pastor over and over again, would you let me into my apartment? In all of these ways, uh, while it was entertaining to others, I'm sure, watching us little interns come in, It made me feel like an outsider. I was reminded that I'm new here. I'm not quite in stream with everyone yet. And in a similar way, we are looking at a passage of Scripture this morning that has two widows who've just moved to Bethlehem after being in Moab for for over 10 years. However, their needs were far greater than mine. One of these widows is old and the other is an outsider. She's not a native of Israel. They essentially have nothing And they need every favor they can get. Now, the story of Ruth and Naomi 
though as warm-hearted as it is. It's more than that. The story of these widows and the person that they're going to meet in our chapter today has direct implications for your life and for mine. Their story mirrors our story. And so I'm wondering this morning if you know your need for help. Do you know that you are an outsider? If you do, do you know what in particular makes you an outsider? Do you know the one who isn't ashamed of outsiders and isn't afraid to show them abundant favor? To the Christian here this morning, I'm wondering if you've lost sight of the fact that you were once an outsider and therefore taking it for granted have stifled your own joy and amazement at the favor you've received. Maybe you are here this morning and you're discouraged because of the choices you've been making recently and you doubt whether the Savior will show you favor for the millionth time. Ruth chapter 2 speaks to these very things. So let's jump in. The first thing we see in chapter 2 is the author's narration that lets the listener in on something in the life of Naomi and Ruth. And they won't learn this truth until much later in the chapter. In verse 1, the author states that Naomi, though empty and cursed by God, as she has acknowledged in chapter 1, verse 21, she has a relative on her husband's side. His name is Boaz. And we learn that this man is a worthy man. Some translations of the Bible read uh, a man of great wealth. And while a case could be made for this, it seems that Boaz is more than just that. He is a worthy man. And we'll see that in his actions throughout this chapter. So I think worthy captures what the author is after. And additionally, in chapter 3, verse 11, we see that Ruth will be referred to as a worthy woman. And so I think the author is doing something there based on her remarkable faith and godly deeds throughout the book. And so chapter 2 picks right back up on some of the foreshadowing of blessing that we were left with in chapter 1, which our brother Matt preached last week. We saw the foreshadow of blessing in these two poor women coming back to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. We also saw the foreshadow of blessing in Ruth to Naomi. Do you remember that remarkable declaration of faith that she had in chapter 1? She declared her faith to Naomi when she said that she'll not only take care of Naomi, but that your people will be my people and your God, my God. This is the response of faith to the God who says to his chosen people, you shall be my people and I will be your God. So we see a blessing foreshadowed in Ruth who may just be more than a son to Naomi. And now we add a third foreshadow of blessing, that a worthy relative is in the line of Elimelech. And he is a man of godly character. So far, it's clear in this story that God's covenantal curse has been upon Naomi, who also serves as a picture of Israel in the time of the judges. But it's also becoming clear that those curses are being used by God to bring his people back And now that blessing is on the horizon for Naomi and for Ruth. And this is where the story picks up, starting in verse 2. We see that Naomi and Ruth are in the town of Bethlehem. 
two of them. The two of them are in need of food. They're without husbands and without jobs. So Ruth asks permission of Naomi to go to the fields and glean some barley so that they'll have something to eat. According to the law in Deuteronomy 24, it was permitted that the poor and the sojourner was able to come to the fields and gather grain after the reapers who had passed through. These harvesters were not to try to gather, gather every little crumb like the Grinch who stole Christmas, but they were to leave the edges unharvested. They were to leave a little bit in the field for the needy. And this was a kindness of, to, of the Lord to those in need, and Naomi and Ruth meet that description. Therefore, Ruth wants to go and make use of this provision in God's law, but I want you to notice something further. How she words her request to Naomi in verse 2. Ruth says, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. When you see the words, shall find favor, you might think that Ruth is like some young entrepreneur who is overly confident that they can seal the deal. I'm going to find favor in somebody's sight. But I don't think that that captures the flow of the story. That good old New American Standard Bible has it this way. Please, let me go to the field and glean the ears of grain after the one in whose sight I may find favor. I think that captures it better. Now you may say to me, why would Ruth need to find favor in the sight of a farmer when God's law already permitted her to do that? Well, allow me to answer your question with another question. Have you ever been around children? Just because the rules have been stated doesn't mean that those rules are being kept. And it was no different among the children of Israel, particularly in the time of the judges. In fact, withholding rights was a constant sin for Israel. The prophet Isaiah was commissioned by God to call out this very sin in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. He, he proclaimed, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, and the writer who keeps writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people from their right. So it makes sense why Ruth needs the favor of the farmer to glean what is her right by law. And this meshes well with what Boaz will say in verse 9, that he's charged his men not to touch her. And again, in uh, Naomi's words in verse 22, she says it's good for her to glean in a particular field lest she be assaulted. So Ruth makes her request. Naomi permits her, and Ruth, as it says in verse 3, sets out to glean in the field after the reapers. And the text says, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of, of the clan of Elimelech. Now remember, Naomi and Ruth are not privy to what you and I were told in verse 1. It's not like one of those movies where the characters can hear the narrator in the sky. That's only for you and me. And so this verse highlights well that God is up to something in the person of Boaz. And we see that also in verse 4. It reads, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. If I might put it in my millennial language, the idea is, and check this out, Boaz drops by from Bethlehem. Not only has Ruth happened to find herself in Boaz's field, Boaz happens to be arriving when Ruth is in that field. God wants us to see that 
Though Ruth left home that morning hoping to find favor in the sight of a farmer, she's about to find how much favor she shall receive from our Father in heaven. So Boaz comes and he greets his harvesters with a godly blessing. And we see in verse 5 that Boaz must have noticed this young Moabite because he asks his foreman about the young woman he sees. The foreman in charge responds to Boaz in verses 6 and 7. He says, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please glean, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, Boaz knows who this woman is. She is the Moabite who came back with Naomi and she is hard at work gleaning in this field for Naomi and for herself. Now, some translations make it look like Ruth is already gleaning in the field and some translations make it look like she was just standing there waiting for the owner. But I think the context weighs in favor of Ruth already hard at work, which is why you heard in the ESV Bible the way it takes it. And so here we are at the end of verse 7. We see God's kind providence at work, and now Boaz has met Ruth. We are about to see the mere favor of a farmer turn into something so much more. And we see those shocking words in verse 8. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. These are the words of Boaz to Ruth. Then Boaz said to her, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. In these verses, we see Boaz extending favor to Ruth that goes way beyond what an Israelite was required by law to do. As I mentioned earlier, the law in places like Deuteronomy chapter 24 and Leviticus 19 even permit a foreigner who lived in Israel to glean after the harvesters. But here, Boaz is saying, stay in my field. I'll allow you to keep close to my young women all throughout the barley season, and you'll be able to glean way more here. Not only that, I will make sure that you are protected from assault and you are permitted to quench your thirst alongside my workers at the water coolers. Brothers and sisters, this goes way beyond what any foreigner should expect from an Israelite farmer. And we see just how radical this favor is in Ruth's response to Boaz's blessing. Look with me at verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. And she said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth is awestruck with wonder that Boaz would take notice of her, that he would lavish her with such favor. And she essentially is asking, what on earth did I do to deserve this? And Boaz tells her why in verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. These words of Boaz mirror Ruth's profession of faith that we saw in chapter one. Boaz is telling back to Ruth that she has taken care of Naomi. She has made God's people her people and she's making the God of Israel her God. And Boaz is acknowledging that she ain't a regular foreigner. Indeed, she has shown the very faith of Abraham in leaving the native land and going where God has called her to go. She has shown herself in every way to be a covenant member of God's people. And therefore, Boaz is treating her like a fellow Israelite. He's extending the blessings to her that go way beyond the right of a foreigner. And he continues with his prayer for Ruth that God would bless her for seeking refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. This is a phrase that refers to when God's people come under the provision and protection of the Lord. He is a refuge to them. And under his wings, they find that protection and provision. And Boaz is saying that by her faith, she is one of those people. Then we see Ruth's response to this in verse 13. With a characteristic expression of gratitude in those days, Ruth tells Boaz, thank you, for you have comforted me. The verse reads, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. To say to someone back then that they have found favor in their sight was to gratefully acknowledge what you have been shown. It was just an extra way of honoring the one who showed you favor. And so Ruth is acknowledging that she's being treated like one of Boaz's own, though she's not his servant. But the favor doesn't stop there. Look with me at how Boaz continues to shower Ruth with favor, beginning in verse 14. And at mealtime... Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she even had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Here we see Boaz continuing that favor towards her. She's invited to the table, and now she's eating a meal with the fellow workers. The scene is like a holiday meal, and they're invited to the table, and she's eating, and Boaz is passing her food, and she's stuffed. So much so that she had some left over, and she'll take that home with her to Naomi. And Boaz also tells his workers after the meal, let Ruth glean as much as she wants and as close to the front as she wants. He even goes so far as to say, hey, pull some out and let her grab it. And what started out as a regular day of harvesting for these workers 
has turned into a day of letting Ruth gather as much grain as she can possibly collect. Which is why Boaz has to tell his workers, do not reproach her and do not rebuke her. We've gone from Ruth picking up the leftovers to the workers essentially grabbing the leftovers that Ruth can't grab. We are seeing favor upon favor, grace upon grace. Ruth the Moabite is being treated like an Israelite, moving from foreigner to family in the sight of Boaz. And in this section of our passage today, it ends with Ruth carrying an ephah of barley. Now, children in the room, this would be like your mom and dad coming home with groceries and you're trying to carry all three or four gallons of milk into the house all at the same time. That's how much is here. 30, maybe 40 pounds of grain. Enough, some say, that could feed a couple people for a few weeks. All in a day's harvest. And while this favor shown is more than Ruth could have ever imagined when she set out for this day, this favor of resulting in food doesn't meet Ruth's greatest need. And in our final section, the women in our story finally learn what you and I have been teased with since verse 1. Please follow along as I read our final verses. And she took it up, the barley that is, and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite says, besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Here we see that Ruth comes in the house carrying this uh, bag of barley in however way she possibly can, and Naomi's jaw just hits the floor. She asks, where did you glean today that you received so much barley? May God bless the man that was mindful of you. And Naomi learns from Ruth that the man is Boaz, her relative. And she says again, may he be blessed specifically by the Lord who can see, who." I see, is kind and has not forsaken the living or the dead. And this prayer of blessing and thanksgiving, and in it, we see a side of Naomi we haven't seen yet. She is beginning to see the cloud of curse that has been over her start to break. And she is seeing the kind face of God shine upon her. She's getting it. She sees it. And it's not simply because of the food that she sees that she thinks God is favoring her. It's the one who gave the food. Boaz 
is a worthy man who has shown favor to Ruth and now is someone who can redeem them. Now, in order to understand the significance of this statement, we need to understand the concept of a kinsman redeemer. In places like Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25, we learn that God has commanded for the Israelite in need to be taken care of by his relatives. In Leviticus 25, if an Israelite has, has to sell his property because he's poor, then someone in the family needs to buy it so that the land stays within the family and within the particular tribe of Israel. If an Israelite becomes poor and cannot provide for himself, a close relative is to take him into their care and provide for them so that they may not be sold long-term into slavery with foreigners. All of this is in order to preserve the promised land for the tribal families and to preserve the families for the promised land, to keep them perpetuated, to keep them going into the future. Which is why we see in Deuteronomy chapter 25 that if a married man dies, his brother is to marry the widow and their first son that they have together is to take the place of the brother who died so that his lineage will not be blotted out, but perpetuated. All of these situations include a redeemer stepping in to keep God's people and God's land going. And that's the concept being referred to by Naomi. So coming back to our passage, though Naomi is bitter and empty and without hope, Naomi now has resurrection-like joy here. Because the one who gave them food is the one who can redeem them from all their plight. Naomi can see that God is bringing Boaz into their life. And she can see that Boaz has not been ashamed of Ruth the Moabitess, but has treated her like a covenant member in need. Death is truly giving way to life in our story this morning. And so Ruth gleans in Boaz's field through the entire barley harvest and the subsequent wheat harvest. And then she remains with her mother-in-law after all that harvesting. This is an incredible story of God sending a kinsman redeemer, a relative redeemer, who wasn't ashamed of this outsider who had faith, but was pleased to shower her and her mother-in-law with favor. But the story isn't over. This story still speaks beyond the lives of Naomi and Ruth because what happened to Israel was written for our instruction. This story is ultimately meant to, is meant to show all the world that though they are under God's curse of condemnation for their sin, God has favorably showered all the nations with, blessing, with the blessing of salvation in Jesus Christ. Every person has been born in sin rejecting and ignoring God. We humans are cursed. Cursed to be condemned eternally in hell for our sin and disobedience. But yet God has been kind to us. God has sent a redeemer into our story who can deliver us from all our plight and our cursed state before our God in heaven. And that redeemer is Jesus Christ. He is our kinsman redeemer who took on flesh and blood. Man sinned, so man has to pay for it. 
But Jesus wasn't ashamed to become like us in every way so that he could pay for our sin and redeem us from what we were under. Jesus is our kinsman because he was human and he was able to redeem us from that cursed state under the wrath of God. According to Hebrews 2.11, Jesus was not ashamed to call a people his brothers and sisters. According to Ephesians chapter 2, he's not ashamed to invite the outsider in. You and I are just like the Moabite. We come from a rebellious heritage and we are rebellious in our own right. We are all alone like Ruth. And as it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, we had no hope and we were without God in the world. But for those of us who have put their faith in Christ, the faith that Ruth exhibits in chapter 1, it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus welcomes the outsider and the vilest offender who truly believes. Their story can be our story. And he redeems us not just from a need of food, but he redeems us from so much more. We need freedom from sin and sin's penalty of hell. And as we learn in chapter 2 of Titus, the grace of God has appeared. You could say the favor of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, both to Jews and to all the nations. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed from all lawlessness. And he, has, he was raised from the dead after that so that in his resurrected life, he could give us the blessing of new life. Everything in the story of Ruth can be our story in Christ. Can you see this morning the kindness of God who has not forsaken people and has shown us eternal favor in the Lord Jesus Christ? There is a kinsman redeemer for us who isn't ashamed to show favor to the outsider who has faith. So how should we respond to so great a redeemer this morning? We should respond with belief in this kinsman redeemer. Maybe you're here this morning and by God's grace, you have come to realize your great need of a savior like Naomi in chapter 1, verse 21, you realize that the Lord has testified against you and you are guilty of sin. The Lord has brought calamity upon you and that you feel God's hatred towards you in your heart because of your sin. Friend, realizing God's hatred towards you and your sin is the pathway to experiencing God's favor and salvation. Only when you know your need will you look for help. And God's grace to, us this, to you this morning is that you have a Redeemer who longs to show you favor. Jesus did not hold back his life from helping you, but freely gave himself on the cross. In fact, do you remember what some of the last words were on his mouth? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus Christ had forgiveness and the favor of salvation on his mind when he was breathing his last breaths. 
Do you not see how favorable this Savior is to sinners who come in repentance and faith? There is none of us here that are too far out. None of us that are too much of an outsider that Jesus would be ashamed of us. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. For those of you who do not identify with Jesus as a believer, today is the favorable time. Though you cannot save yourself, Jesus has provided salvation through his death, his burial, and his resurrection for sinners. And now he commands all nations to receive this gift by coming to him in repentance and faith. There may be here, some here today who've heard the gospel a thousand times and you doubt the favor of the Savior And I want to tell you that you are believing a lie with eternal consequences. What more must Jesus do to show you his favor that he has extended to every body if you but come to him to be saved? It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. He is extending favor to all. Friend, our Redeemer is so willing. He's so willing to save you that he took on human flesh. He did that in order to die the death that you deserve for your sins and ignoring of God, in order to give you the life that you could not earn. He's not ashamed of sinners. So if you're here this morning and you think that he won't show you favor, I want you to listen to me. He's not ashamed of sinners. He's not ashamed of the outcast and the foreigner. He's not ashamed of of Missourians or Vermonters. He's not ashamed of white-collar or blue-collar people. He's not ashamed of the sinner who repented the first time they heard the gospel. And he's not ashamed of the sinner who repents after the thousandth time they've heard the gospel. He is not ashamed of sinners. Please come to the one who delights to give favor, the favor of salvation to sinners. Come to the Christian in the room. I urge you as well to believe in this kinsman redeemer. I'm wondering if there are times when you doubt the favor that is yours in Christ. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever doubted the favor that is yours in Christ? That Jesus is somehow now ashamed of you and doesn't want to hear from you nor give you grace and mercy in your time of need. This is a lie that sometimes we all fall into, but we have to address it. John Calvin wrote that the scriptures make the sum of our salvation to consist in the removal of all enmity with God and our admission into favor. Brothers and sisters, the sum of your salvation is that you live in the favor of Jesus Christ. Your Savior wasn't ashamed of you back then, and he's not ashamed of you now. He will continue to show you favor. Therefore, you and I should never think for a moment that he's embarrassed of us, that he wouldn't want to 
Give us the grace that we need to live. Do you think that if our Savior was so easily embarrassed that he would have ever made a Moabite the object of his love? If he were so easily ashamed, none of us, no one in this room would ever be saved. He's not ashamed of you. I hope today that you can remember that every time you find yourself in sin, that he wants to hear from you. He's there for you. I hope today you're being reminded that Jesus became like us in every way so that he could save us. But there is one way in which he did not become like us. He's not ashamed of people with embarrassing stories. And he's not a savior that ever changes the way he looks at you. Your savior is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Therefore, believe that this kinsman redeemer is ever favorable towards you. When you are disgusted by your sin, come to him in confession of them. He will show you mercy and grace. He will provide you the power to overcome sin. When you're tempted to believe the accusations of the devil, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. When you are in a bit of a funk and your affections grow dull, let the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ cause you to say anew, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a sinner? Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of the character of our kinsman redeemer this morning. So let us believe rightly about him. And finally, let this favor that you've received from the Redeemer cause you to live like the Redeemer. Just as Boaz was a picture of Christ's favor towards us, so too we see Boaz as one who extends brotherly love to the outsider who has faith. It doesn't matter the age, stage of life, or the ethnicity of the person. When God has given the Outsider, the favor of salvation, we too show them favor by welcoming them into our midst, encouraging them in their faith, and meeting their needs accordingly. Christian, we have found favor in the sight of our Savior. So let us live in that favor today. Would you pray with me? Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of favor and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you convict friends here of the judgment awaiting them and save these that are not identifying with Christ as believers? Would you cause the hearts of believers here this morning to be refreshed in the favor that their Savior has shown them in salvation? Indeed, Father, your Son is still showing us as Jesus sits at your right hand, always interceding for his people to you. And Father, give us the grace that this knowledge may work itself out in our lives with wonder and gratitude with our Redeemer. Lord, we thank you for him. And we ask these things through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.